0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host coming to you from a snowy boulder, Colorado, here on Monday, October 9th, 2017. Want to welcome you guys into another episode. Make sure you go to SoundCloud.com. Slash Land Grand Holy Land. Also check out the podcast and subscribe by going on to Apple Podcasts and searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. We are officially going to be halfway through Ohio State's season as of this week, and the Buckeyes are going to face the Nebraska Cornhuskers on the road. And we'll get to that in a second. That's gonna be the topic of today's podcast. But we have some breaking news in college football, and to talk about that and everything going on. I am joined by my buddy and co-host, who is walking around the streets of Washington D.C., and his name is Matt Brown.
1: Uh, what's going on, everybody? Uh, I guess, I guess, accurately, I'm walking through the streets of beautiful Hyattsville, Maryland, right now because I decided to work from home today, and I can't be in the same room as my daughter right now because she doesn't understand that actually talking about Ohio State football is work. So she's like insisting that I play play-doh with her. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do this on the move. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to chat a little bit. So can you, uh, can you still hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I got you loud and clear, Matt. Before we talk about what happened with Gary Anderson and Oregon State, last episode we talked about how close you live to Damatha Catholic. And uh, are, are you out recruiting for Ohio State right now? Because the only thing better than tweeting at recruits is uh, meeting up with them in person and trying to get them to go to Ohio State. Am I wrong? Listen, I can't confirm or deny
1: that that I am actually serving as a covert bag man using all of my sweet, sweet blogger money to try and bribe impressionable youth to attend the Institute of Higher Learning that I favor. So I, I, can't, I can't confirm or deny it. Actually, um, I haven't been to a Demastic Game yet. <laughs> I've talked about it with my coworkers a couple of times. I, my goal is to go out this uh, in the next couple of weeks before their season wraps up, but I, I've, I've had to work other Friday nights. Um, let's talk about what, what just happened. So this broke, like, literally 10 minutes ago. Uh, we've already had our first coach firing or resignation of this season um, at UTEP. And even though, you know, there's a couple it's, – it's, it's not hard to think of, like, the names on the hot seat right now. Butch Jones at Tennessee, obviously, right up there. UCLA is going to be uh, a, a place where people are going to have some concerns. There's a couple other ones. But Gary Anderson uh, at Oregon State, formerly of Wisconsin – uh, has mutually parted ways with the university. And what is of per- particularly weird about this, besides the fact that nobody really saw this coming right now, is that he is voluntarily waiving his buyout. The dude was owed money through 2021. I believe it was over $12 million. And he's just saying, nah, which is wild to me. Can you remember anything like that happening before?
0: No, not at all. And I'm looking at it right now. He would have been due more than 12.7 million dollars and as you said this is breaking right now and there's got to be something more to this because like you said this never happens no no i mean like it's possible that there's some kind of scandal
1: or something that i i we don't know we know that anderson is a little bit of a different cat he's not uh, afraid to leave schools under strange circumstances like he did at wisconsin when uh Things, things seem to be moving along there fairly well. It gets frustrated working for Barry Alvarez. Gets frustrated with the uh, academic restrictions that recruiting at Wisconsin uh, has. Goes to take a gig that seemed like it was going to be lower profile, lower uh, expectations, and kind of flames out. Like Now, I'm not shocked that Oregon State eventually decided we got to do something different. Because if you look at s and Plus right now, the single worst Power 5 team in the country is not Rutgers. It's not Kansas. It's not Illinois. It's Oregon State. Like this is, they, they, they have been truly putrid this season. But to, to let a guy go who's still under contract for a while, still relatively well regarded within within the business, you know, somebody who I think could get a coordinator position pretty quickly um, under strange timing. It's it, it all seems, it's all unusual to me.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to speculate as to what his future is going to be because we don't know why he's leaving Oregon State, but this is a guy that's worked with Urban Meyer in the past. They have a very close relationship, and Ohio State seemingly will be looking for a new defensive coordinator next season. You would figure that Greg Schiano is going to be a, uh, a candidate for – if not a college job an nfl job somewhere else it's it's unlikely that he's going to be at ohio state next year so from an ohio state perspective i think that that's something to look out for with gary anderson provided that there's no shady dealings or any sort of other business going on here but it definitely is very curious to see him uh go out the way that he did at oregon state
1: uh, you know, that's a really good point and it would be interesting to see if greg Schiano actually ends up being a candidate for this gig uh he was a, he was a candidate at oregon um, I would imagine it's it's pretty likely that Boston College is going to uh, have a, a, a head coach opening this off season. Boston College obviously just hired an Ohio State um, employee as their new athletic director. Shiano will make a ton of sense there given his his East Coast connections. But uh, you know it's it, it'll be interesting to see whether this is a position that tracks any Ohio State assistant interest, um, and if if potentially Columbus is a is a landing spot. You know that that's always. One of the interesting things to think about here in the, for the coaching carousel season, and there's there's probably going to be about a dozen positions opening up across the country on some level, which of those may have Ohio State connections? Because when you are as successful as Ohio State is, and you recruit as well as Ohio State has in terms of assistance, your guys are going to be in demand. And I don't think Shiano will be the only one.
0: No, I, I agree with you. And that's definitely something to look out for. And I think that there's going to be a trickle effect no matter, you know, what these what jobs open up because I, I do think we're going to be looking at a very different Ohio State coaching staff when next season rolls around. Um, before we get into Nebraska, let's talk a little bit about the new SP Plus rankings that came out yesterday after week six was in the books. And S&P is something that Matt and I uh, hold pretty dearly to our hearts and is a big part of the SP Nation. Uh, college football coverage, and it turns out that the Ohio State Buckeyes, after six weeks, despite the loss to Oklahoma, are number one in S&P Plus. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, I
1: I am not shocked by this. In case you're listening and you're wondering, what the hell is an S&P Plus? Uh, let me let's refresh your memory. This is a a metric that evaluates a team's success on every play, uh, offense and defense, excluding garbage time. Uh, and it's opponent and pace adjusted. So that's really useful because you might look at something like total offense or total defense and see this great big number, but without adjusting that for who you know who's, who's a triple option team, who's an air raid team, all these other kind of things, you miss a lot. So this is, I think, it's not a perfect measure, but it's one of the best measures to, to really evaluate team quality. And as a predictive measure. The reason Ohio State's up at this point, and I'm a little surprised that they're number one, but I'm not surprised that they've been graded so well is because they have absolutely dominated both sides of the ball on nearly every level the past four weeks. I I mean, like they had more points than Maryland had yards until like the four minute mark of the Maryland game. And that's a team that S&P Plus sees as slightly above average, you know, a top 65 kind of team. Uh, And that's difficult to do, even when you're playing against teams that are struggling. Um, to dominate them as, as thoroughly. I mean, I, I said this on this podcast a couple of times. It's easy. Everyone would do it, and you can ask Oklahoma how easy that is. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I personally, if I had to make a list, I wouldn't put Ohio State as the best team in the country, but I don't think this is a shock. And I don't think it's extremely undeserved. I imagine in a week or two, uh, the numbers will kind of correct a little bit with Maryland, and we'll see Ohio State drop a little bit. But it's a reflection of how well they've been playing, uh, which, you know, Opponent or not, opponent adjusted or not, like that's it's a it's a big deal.
0: The only time in the last four games that Ohio State has played below a percentile under ninety percent, either on offense or defense, was the offense against Army four weeks ago, and that came in at an eighty-one percentile. So Ohio State definitely on both sides of the ball has been uh, nothing short of dominant. You can't even say that they've just been good. They've been great. They've been 94 or above in the last three weeks, 91 or above in the last four weeks on defense. So Ohio State rolling on both sides of the ball. Special teams may be <laughs> the only area where it's really uh, been, a, been a struggle for them. So something to keep up with. And then offensively right now through th- six weeks, they're ranked as the third rated offense in the country and sixth rated defense in the country. So whether you think that this has been propped up due to playing poor teams. It's undebatable that Ohio State has killed those teams. And I think that that's all you can ask for. And this week against Nebraska, I think is going to be a pretty decent test. And then uh, after the bye week against Penn State is obviously going to be the test that everybody has been looking for. But getting into this week, they face a Nebraska team that comes off a 38 to 17 primetime loss to Wisconsin at home. They get their second primetime home game in a row. And Digging into what Nebraska is and their 50th in S&P plus, I'm struggling to figure out what I think about this game because it's not going to be the same game that Ohio State's played the last three or four weeks. That I don't think they're going to put up 60 points again, even though they did it to Nebraska last year but I still think that just on paper, there's really no reason for them not to win this game by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think this is a good
1: matchup for Nebraska at all. Uh, it, it's, it, the spreads. Another, another big number. This is the, the Nebraska has been the biggest home dog since like the fifties for this game. I think it's like 24 points and or 27 points. And SMP has it as, as slightly under that, but, The things that Nebraska does well and the things that Nebraska struggles with are not really a very good match for Ohio State. And we saw this this similar kind of situation happen last year uh, with the Nebraska offense that has a little bit of explosiveness, but is definitely prone to turnovers, especially if they have to play from behind with an offensive line that's not great. And against this secondary, against this pass rush, that leads to things getting out of hand in a hurry. And they're basically that exact same offense this year and a defense that is not very efficient. Uh, so you combine those two things here, even though it's it's going to be a big crowd and there's going to be you know, 81,000 angry, yelling people and everything, um, it's hard for me to see a path for Nebraska to win. I can see that, you know, hanging around between 17 points if Tanner Lee gets hot, but... The the, the 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 offensive consistency and the depth just is not there.
0: Yeah, I think the big key for Ohio State in this game is to just avoid multiple turnovers. Nebraska's already turned the ball over 12 times this season. That's 110th nationally, and 10 of those have been Tanner Lee interceptions. So you would figure that Ohio State is at least going to be able to force a couple of turnovers and if they can avoid turning the ball over themselves they can kind of just let nebraska beat themselves
1: they've actually been much better about that this season uh, than, than than years past with ohio state the, the, you know with, with, with the way this channel plays as corners they're going to be in position to get interceptions but the buckeyes you know garbage time last week notwithstanding. I've done a really pretty good job of taking care of the football. And the only way I can see a real upset here is if Nebraska's winning that turnover battle, you know, plus two, plus three. I think the opposite is probably more likely. It's, this, is, this is, the you know, a far more talented team. Actually, you know what? No, it's, it's not a far more talented team. It's probably a more talented team, regardless of what the 247 uh, database says. I, I think they're a little bit better uh, talent-wise than Maryland, just because of the way experience shakes out but that way wasn't close at all. And I don't think this is going to be enormously different.
0: No. And one of the things that Nebraska has done well offensively has been avoiding sacks. And now they're going up against a defensive line. That is the best line in the country in havoc rate. And for those of you that aren't familiar with havoc rate, that's basically just wrecking shit, whether it's sacks, <laughs> forced fumbles tackles for loss. That just means you're making plays in the backfield. Ohio state's defensive line through six games, has been the best in the country at that. And so I I would think that Nebraska's going to continue to be able to at least keep Tanner Lee somewhat clean, but not as clean as they have – throughout the uh, the early portion of this season because, uh, as we've seen, Ohio State's defensive line is going to get theirs. And if he's already throwing interceptions without being pressured, when he's facing this defensive line, they're going to turn the ball over.
1: If, if you are under duress against Northern Illinois and Arkansas State and Oregon and Illinois, uh, you have no idea what you're in for uh, against Ohio State. I, I think what Wisconsin was able to do in the second half you know, really just bottling up their offense is, is more indicative of what we're going to see here coming up. Uh, the, the game itself, I mean, it's interesting because it's an Ohio State game against a team that everyone's heard of and that people are going to care about. That's interesting. But The, the more interesting question, the one that everyone's talking about right now, is more philosophical about what Nebraska is and what Nebraska is going to do this season. Um, you know, they've already fired their athletic director, a guy who was really unpopular... Um, Nebraska is looking a bunch of different directions. There, it's clear that this university badly wants to be good at football, and I'm, I'm I'm in like good, good at football, not not, you know, eight nine wins, Outback Bowl, kind of good at football. So I, I guess my, I I've kind of changed my mind about this a little bit here. How good do you think they can be, and who do you think they could get, if they should make a change? Maybe they should maybe they should stick with Riley one more year.
0: You know, uh, looking at this season, Mike Riley and. In- his three years at Nebraska right now is 18 and 14. And now you have a new athletic director. And in just looking for the rest of the season, this Ohio State game looks like a likely loss. They play at Purdue, which I think at this point has to be a toss-up. And same with their games against Northwestern at Minnesota and Iowa to close the season. And then they play at Penn state. So I I think there's at least three more losses on this schedule and they've already lost three games. So not going to a bowl is very much on the table. And, you know, I I don't think Nebraska is ever going to be anywhere close to what they were in the past. And I don't even really think most Nebraska fans want or think that they can get back to that level, but for them to be playing in the big 10 West right now and losing five, six games a season. That that's not going to stand, and this will be three years of Mike Riley, and I, I just don't see any way for them or any way for him to get out of this season with his job. I think you're going to see somebody new there, and the name that always pops up, it's the most obvious, but I think it makes the most sense is Scott Frost.
1: Uh, it it does it does make some sense. Obviously Frost, a ton of Nebraska ties, you know worked in Oregon for a while, has a lot of experience working with tempo, and and uh, maybe fusing some of the pr- offensive principles. Between old Nebraska and what would be successful there, um, whether they can get him—that's that'll that'll be a, a, an interesting question. UCF is cooking right now. It, it does make a lot of sense here on paper. I I've kind of gone back and forth about this gig because I feel like there's been a, a big pushback, you know, from a lot of writers about hey this isn't actually that good of a job anymore. Like the pay isn't that much money, the geography is terrible, and the expectations are really high. Um, I. I, you're right. Like you, you're never gonna. It's never gonna be 97 again. Like we knew it wasn't gonna be 97. Two weeks after 97, I wrote. I wrote about this a fair amount in my book. Uh, what if a closer look at college football's great questions available on Amazon and Kindle.com right now. Um, that <laughs> you know, the recruiting rules have changed. Nebraska can't admit partial qualifiers like they used to anymore. They don't have the, the advantage of their strength program and the walk-on program that they used to anymore. They obviously can't oversign like they used to, uh, you know, kind of before Osborne, blah, blah, blah. We, we all we all realize that it's not going to be a national title-winning team. But, like, even with all of the crap that's happened at that program right now, they're still bringing in top 30 recruiting classes. They might sign a couple of five-stars this year. Like, there's good wideouts on this team. You can recruit California. You can recruit Florida. There's, there's a couple of decent kids in, in the Great Plains. You can be competitive more so than they are in Ohio. So I think you can probably most years be the most talented team in the Big Ten West. If you're getting the right coach, you can still win nine, 10 games a year and win the Big Ten once, twice a decade. Like, I, I think that that's possible in Nebraska and you could do all that while making nearly $4 million a year. It's not that bad of a gig. And Lincoln, I got to admit, I was just there last week. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's a nice town. There are far worse places in the Big Ten you could be living than Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Yeah, from what I've heard, it's pretty nice. I had family and friends that used to take the train up there every other year for the CU game when CU and Nebraska were still playing every year in the Big 12. And Lincoln has certainly changed from what it was even, I think, five or or seven years ago. And, man, if you can – and I know that geography is different and. The talent within the home state is different, but like if you can get players to go play in a place like College Station or Waco, then you can get players to go play in Nebraska. Now, I know Nebraska doesn't have the advantage of just having those kids in the backyard, but like you said, they're still able to pull in top 30 classes, so I don't foresee them falling off a cliff anytime soon. But I think the the biggest problem for them, at least in the short term, is what's going on at Purdue and what's possible at Minnesota with guys like Jeff Braum and P.J. Fleck because they are such ace recruiters that if Nebraska doesn't hire Scott Frost and they don't hire somebody who has that recruiting pedigree that can continue to bring in top 30, top 25 classes, get kids from California, then I think you run the risk of Falling behind teams like Minnesota, and I can't believe I'm even saying this right now. It's okay, let it do out. as well as long as as long as Brahms there, and that's crazy to say, but those guys are so plugged in, and they've already made progress in less than a year, then I think that that's a legitimate worry for Nebraska.
1: One other thing to just to keep in mind, and then we could we talk a little bit more about some other things, is that the future schedules, um, when the Big Ten was figuring out what they wanted cross-division games to look like, they tried to set it up so you know you're still playing everybody, but they're emphasizing certain rivalries more. I think Nebraska plays Ohio State like five years in a row. Like this, this is clearly a game at the conference, a series the conference invested in. like this schedule, and you've you got some difficult teams out of conference who are coming in. Like the schedule is going to be hard. You're right. Like there there is a real risk here because there's this is a young roster, but it's, this is not a one-year turnaround. And then if you're stuck going to Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State and and challenging out of conference things here, while Purdue and Minnesota get to fatten up on some on some smaller some some lesser regarded teams. Um, that gap could get uncomfortably close. So this, the next several weeks here, I think, are uh, are really pivotal for Nebraska. Uh, and the, the Vegas has made it abundantly clear at this point how wide they think that gap is between the premier of the Big Ten and where Nebraska currently is. Right now, they're not close.
0: Yeah, right now they are projected to lose seven games. And like I said before, you know you could still get into a bowl game and nebraska did that a couple of seasons ago when they were 5 and 7 and then played uh usc out in california i forget what bowl it is so Do maybe their that? apr yeah maybe their apr is good enough to have that again, but I don't think that that's going to provide much solace for Nebraska fans Of like, oh, we went five and seven, but at least we went to a bowl in one, so we're six and seven. So I think that the, the timing right now is the biggest thing for Nebraska because you have these bottom tier teams, excluding Illinois, that are on the rise in their own division. And like you said, they have a schedule coming up where they play Ohio State, they play Michigan, they play Penn State. And right now they just don't have the talent level to match up with those teams, whether it's on the road or at home. And I think that they're going to have to make a decision Pretty quickly on what they're going to do with Mike Riley, whether that's if they lose to uh, Purdue after playing Ohio State or they lose to Minnesota or whatever it may be that I I think that whether they keep him, whether they fire him, we're going to know after that regular season game against Iowa or before if things go bad.
1: I I think we'll know before. I can imagine the university would love to give him one more year. Uh, so they can figure out exactly what they're doing with their athletic director. It would be weird to have an interim come in and potentially have to make choices about not just Riley, but, but, uh, miles, their basketball coach. You have this gigantic, beautiful arena that they have to fill. (laughs) And, uh, the, the, the glow has gone, I think from those early press conference jokes, but, and you know, if, if Mike Riley allows them to do that and let them roll into next off season where they might be the biggest job on the market, that's good for them. If, uh, if they lose to Purdue or lose to Minnesota that, that might force the hands um, given how important it is for that school to have a successful football team there's one other Nebraska thing I want to talk to you about before we let everybody go here um have you ever had a Runza before?
0: I have never had Runza.
1: Okay, let me let me, let's talk about this, right? So I was in Nebraska last week. I was uh, the, uh, attending a funeral of a, of a mutual friend of ours who used to uh, do a lot of work for our Nebraska site Coronation, Brian Toll. Who's uh, you know a great guy. We I miss him already. Um, and I had never been to Nebraska, so like, okay, I'm going to be here. Obviously, I'm here for this event, but I want to participate in some local flavor, right? I'm here for two days. I don't know when to be in Lincoln again. So, one, I went to a women's volleyball game, which was amazing. Like, Nebraska is I, – someone described it to me as, like, the Rupp Arena for women's volleyball. There were 8,000 people there. They were all screaming. They did some fun things with the their cell phones and the lights and the, and the introductions here. Like, I was really impressed, and I don't know I don't want anything about volleyball. Like, if you if you get that opportunity to, to go, even if you never watched this sport live before, you should do it. It was great. On my way home, the guy I was with was like, you should have a runza. Uh, which is a, a, a fast food place that is specific to Nebraska, or they might have some places in Iowa. But like the noun Runza, I believe, is specific to Nebraska. And I am willing to eat a bunch of weird stuff in the name of sampling local cuisine. So I I, uh, I grab one. Are you aware of what one is, or should I explain that here for our listeners?
0: I am looking at the recipe right now, and I can see cabbage and onion.
1: Yes, they're both involved. its I, I don't mean this pejoratively. I really don't. But it, I think it could be charitably described as a Nebraskan hot pocket. It's, it's, it's basically like an encased sandwich. You know, It's not two slices of bread. It's bread all the way around with meat and cabbage uh, inside. And you can get different you know variations thereof. You can get it with cheese. You can get it like Mexican style with like lettuce and tomatoes and salsa or something. So there's this whole variation. But the traditional is basically... Like uh, it's kind of like if a hot pocket and a pierogi had a baby and then moved out to the Great Plains where real estate was cheaper, um, and I had one of those and an order of frigs, which is fries and onion rings, uh, and I really badly wanted to love it. I did because I had liked really almost everything else about Nebraska. Like you know, I have, I I think I put Lincoln as maybe fourth among Big Ten cities that I've been to. Like it's it's high up on the list for me, um, but this is this is not good, friends. <laughs> the the uh, the sandwich does not retain its structural integrity, so it's sloppy, it's a little bit wet, it's not very excitingly seasoned. If um, you're ever there and you find yourself at that place, you should get a burger uh, and, and not the Hot Pocket. Um, in fact, you should avoid Hot Pockets.
0: I, I just want to say, um, before he passed away, we had Brian on the podcast previewing uh, the Nebraska game this year, and he implored all Ohio State fans to uh to visit runza and go eat a runza because he loved him so much so i hope he's up in, i hope brian is up in heaven smiting you right now for your runza takes matt oh
1: he is he is and, and this this isn't even the worst part like I, I listen i i wrote about this on the nebraska site and it, my mentions were, were on fire for two days but the most egregious thing is actually they're chilly crimes and 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 cold i'm from ohio uh and as much as i'm loath to admit it cincinnati is technically part of ohio even though we both know it's spiritually in, in Kentucky. Kentucky. and we, Forever Kentucky. You know, the maps are fake news. zip codes are fake news. Um, but, you know, in Cincinnati, of course, what they do is they put chili on spaghetti. And uh, that's gross. Skyline chili is gross. Uh, it, is, it is only acceptable at 1 o'clock in the morning on a hot dog. But what, what, what they do in Nebraska is they, they sell you a cinnamon roll and chili, and people combine them. They dipped the cinnamon roll in the chili.
0: That just sounds like
1: diabetes. I, 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 I've never been so furious in my life. I, I, Ohio State should never lose to a, a, a institution, a state that is so depraved as to befoul such an important food as chili with this insidious concoction.
0: I feel like people already get mad at us mad at us enough for telling them how to fan like we did last week and telling them to enjoy every single Ohio State game. And they're going to be even more mad uh, with our food takes and us talking about Midwestern food and, like, Midwestern food – is just absolutely terrible.
1: Whoa, right, whoa, 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 whoa! Let me, whoa, let me make whoa. my
0: case here as somebody oh. <laughs> that lives in Colorado. And there's no food identity out in Colorado. Like I'll be straight up. Uh, if any of our listeners are right, live out here, they can back me up on that. There is no <clears throat> sort of identity. And I respect that the Midwest at least has some sort of. Food identity. There's decent Mexican food out here. If you go to the right places, there's some pretty good stuff. But there's no real cultural identity for food here. But Midwestern food, man, I just, um, I'm out. I, I can't do it. Like, if you guys want to leave one star on the podcast for that take, uh, feel more than free. But Midwestern food is actually bad.
1: Okay, okay, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this. <laughs> My fellow Midwestern brethren, I cannot let this bullshit stand. Um, if we want to define Midwestern cuisine as the half of the menu at Runza, um, if we even define Nebraska as the Midwest, which is p- perhaps specious, um, and, I don't know, like fish casserole or something, then, like, okay, fine, it's bad. But Chicago deep dish pizza is good. Chicago hot dogs are extremely good. The Indiana pork tenderloin sandwich, with the tenderloin is the size of, like, a Frisbee is actually pretty good. Kansas City barbecue is pretty good. There's lots of things in the Midwest. Like Chicago is an amazing food town. Columbus does ice cream extremely well. Like the Midwest is about dairy. It is about encased, cured meats, and it's about beer. And you know, I enjoy two of, two of those three things. Most people enjoy three of those three things. And I will not allow that slander. If you, or, or, if you think that all food in the Midwest is bad, I'm sorry that you've only ever eaten at Garrison Keillor's house.
0: <laughs> you know what? I am, I'm going to stand <laughs> on my hill. And, uh, but I will admit this. Chicago hot dogs are good. I think Chicago deep dish is trash. But I, I, I will gladly get flamed. For all of these takes, but Midwest food, man, it's just—it's uh, not for me.
1: Okay, so here's what I want all of you to do: the eight people who are still listening on the podcast at this point and have braved the perhaps questionable audio quality as I've had to flee my house. What I want you to do is I want you to at @Colton. I want you to add him on his Twitter handle. I want you to tell him what your favorite Midwest food is and why his takes on this are bad and deserve to be mocked here in the digital public square. Colton, real quick. For the people, where can they let you know on the Internet that everything that you stand for is wrong?
0: They can do that by sending me a tweet at Dubs Cohen. That's probably actually a good uh, gauge to how many listeners we have. So please tell me how stupid I am.
1: Yes. At at him, if you want to at me, if you want some confirmation, some affirmation that some Midwest food is good, actually. um, Or if you want to, you know, criticize anything else here that I said, that's okay. Uh, except about except about except about runs us, because that's that's spiritually correct. I am at Matt SBN. Uh, one final plug: if you're interested in reading some more about Nebraska, including uh, the history of how they got to be so amazing, or that, that unlikely history because it was very close to never happening, uh, and why they aren't that way anymore, there's a whole chapter about it in my book. What if, a closer look at college football's great questions. Uh, we, we just did a run of the book where all the book sales went to uh, Hurricane Relief Charities in Puerto Rico. Uh, raised a little over $100. That was excellent. Uh, I'm going to break some news here on this podcast. I'm actually in the process right now of starting research on a second book. And the more we're able to move here, the much likelier it is that that second book actually happens. Um, because it is something that I'll need a little bit of help with, and I could if I could go to a publisher and say, "Look, all these books I sold," uh, it makes that process easier. So, if you enjoyed it, if you enjoy me, if you want to get another, you know, look at some college football history, I, I, you, together we can we can make this happen. I, I, I'll give some more information about what book two might actually be uh, once we get a little bit farther down the road. But like that process has begun. The pitches have been sent.
0: Do it, folks. Make sure to check out Matt's first book. We talk about it every podcast he's on, but I can't employ you enough to check out What If... A Closer Look at College Football's Greatest Questions because it's an awesome college football book and it's it's evergreen. You didn't have to read it before the season or during the season or after the season. You can read it whenever because these are great stories about great questions in college football history. We'll have a link to it up in the blog post, so make sure to check it out. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33 and visit the website at... Not at, but visit the website at wwwlandgrant holyland.com matt we got anything else today
1: that's it. that that's all i got my friend i'm gonna i'm gonna go back inside i'm gonna i'm gonna build some snakes i'm gonna build some pancakes for some of this play-doh uh and maybe by the time i get back to my desk we'll have a little bit more information here about mr anderson and uh coaching changes that are happening week to week because we are in the part of the year where somebody's at risk to be fired at this point basically every week um, up, up until kind of like Black, you know, Black Friday at the end of the year. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.